0: Woods edge. So good to be with you, as always. See so we've got a few folks standing. There are some seats around. I bet you could find your way if you wanted them. So let me a- accent what Paul Willis, one of our executive pastors, said earlier, if you were here just about all the serving opportunities we have and their material in the foyer, more stuff, more information, more people to talk with. And let me just say, God has wired you to have a part in the kingdom. You need that. You, you want that. You long for that. Find your purpose. Let us help you. Get started somewhere. <clears throat> so, long before the, the legendary Iditarod dog sled ra- race, there was an important race that took place in Alaska some 50 years before. So, Iditarod began in 1973. Some 48 years before, there was a special race from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska. And what happened, there was an epidemic of diphtheria that broke out, and this gold rush city did not have a sufficient amount of antitoxin to deal with it and to treat it. And so the physician there, Dr. Curtis Welch, telegraphed other cities in the state asking, does anybody have any of this diphtheria antitoxin? Only Anchorage had it. Now, the date I mentioned was January 21st. The Bering Sea was frozen. There were no roads and railroads to Nome, Alaska, which is way in the upper northwest. <coughs> they needed that antitoxin yesterday. And so, this is what they did. The hospital in Anchorage put it, this serum in an insulated container, put it on a train a short distance to another nearby city, the end of the train, Nenana, and then it would go by dog sled 674 miles in the dead of winter across Alaska. I mean, 674 miles. I mean, that's long enough in our cars on I-10. But, you know, nearly to El Paso. Now, The first relay, musher, gets the serum with his dogs and goes 52 miles, handing it off, this life-saving serum, to the second musher. He took it 31 miles. Apparently, there were other geographical factors in how long they went. And it went that way, musher to musher to musher through braving the Arctic sub-zero temperatures and the blinding blizzards and the arduous terrain of Alaska in the middle of the winter. Normally, mail went this way, and it would take 30 days to go that distance. They did it in just over five days. Five days, seven hours. This life-saving serum, which held off the epidemic. Can you imagine... That anybody associated with it, whether or not they were at the hospital in Anchorage or part of the family and the town in Nome, the dog sled racers, anybody who knew anything about that, can you imagine the heightened sense of emotion and desperation to be part of that? Don't you imagine that those 20 mushers look back upon that event and their painful endurance in that event as the best time of their life? Man, we were part of saving those kids in Nome, Alaska. Now, church, I'm reminded as we begin the book of Acts that you and I are part of an even more important life-saving mission of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ spreading the gospel throughout the world. Now, you think, Jeff, I mean, there they had a real emergency. I would say to you, I would remind you that our mission To bring the life-saving gospel is far more important than their mission to bring the diphtheria antitoxin. They would rescue lives for a few more decades, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. But our gospel, life-saving gospel, changes people for eternity. And you and I are part of that. Now think back to the mushers. There's no way that one person could have done all of that. They needed the team. There's no way that one of us can uh, is sufficient to take the gospel uh, to, to the world. but together with the church, both our church here at Woods Edge and the church around the world, together, we can continue the work of bringing the life-saving message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, and our God loves us, and we can receive that life and forgiveness. We are part of the greatest mission on the planet. Today, we're going to overview the book of Acts as we launch our series on Acts. We're going to do the entire book in one message. Now, there'll be a lot more weeks after that, but we're going to start with this one. One writer said of Acts, "'Fascination grows with each reading. Never since writing began was a more gripping record ever penned. If the epochal events here narrated do not electrify the imagination and stir the emotions of any serious reader, nothing ever could. I agree with that estimate. We're going to read one verse as we begin. Would you stand with me as I read it? Every book of the Bible does not have a clear purpose verse or a theme verse, but Acts does. In fact, Acts more clearly than any other book in the Bible. It's Acts 1.8. This is the Word of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's Word. Please be seated. All right, church, we're going to put a map up on the board so you can see the geography that Jesus was talking about in Acts 1.8. He talked about Judea and Samaria. Now, modern-day Israel, that's basically it. Jerusalem is the capital city, and then Judea is more to the south, also the west. Samaria is up north. So Jesus says you're going to take the gospel first to the city of Jerusalem, capital city, then to Judea and Samaria, that is the rest of the country of Israel, and then to the end of the earth. Now, Acts 1.8 is not only the theme statement, but it is the structure and outline of the book because that gives you the outline of the book. Acts one one through six seven is all about taking Jerusalem for the gospel, the gospel spreading in Jerusalem, and then in six eight through nine thirty one, the gospel will go to Judea and Samaria, the rest of the country, and then beginning in nine thirty two. The gospel will go in four more stages to the end of the earth. It'll translate over into the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, and there in four stages: the first, 9:32 through 12:24, Gentiles. Then, in 12:25 through 16:5, it'll go to Asia. Pause. When we think of Asia, we think of the 5 billion people spread across the landmass from Russia across China and India, and all those other lands there. In the New Testament, Asia was Western Turkey. It's called Asia Minor. So when you see Asia or Asia Minor, think Western Turkey. That's what we're referring to here. Okay, 16.6 through 19.20, Europe, what we call Europe today, and then 19.21 through 28.31, Rome and beyond. Now, these six stages of the gospel... Are clearly marked at the end of each one. The last verse of each section, I'll show you you this, has a summary statement that the gospel is spreading, doing exactly what Jesus said they will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And it'll, it'll go to Rome and beyond. And we'll see this. Now, let's just sort of walk through the book briefly. Chapter one Jesus, after the resurrection, the gospels, he ascends into heaven. He's in Jerusalem, Mount of Olives. And then he tells the disciples, there are 120 Jewish believers at that time. He tells them, you wait. And the, the point is, you wait and pray in Jerusalem, and I'll send my spirit upon you. They do that. They wait and pray. And the next chapter, he sends his spirit and births the church. It's chapter 2, Acts 2. The church is birthed. And then Acts 3 and 4, there's a, the beginning of persecution and prayer and uh, Acts 5 and 6, there's some more persecution or problems, and there's, there's some miracles also. And then in 6-7 is our first summary statement. It ends the first section in Jerusalem. There we read, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that uh, word multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, that's what we would call movements. We, around Wood's Edge, talk about movements. We want to see movements of the gospel, kingdom movements, book of Acts-like movements. In fact, we will, our vision is to see five internationally, five in the greater Houston area, and we're, we're part of seeing some internationally. We want to see some here and everywhere. There are more movements for the gospel around the world today than ever before in history. More people are coming to Christ. Across China, across Africa, across India, more than ever. And there are these movements, these kingdom movements. We see it in the book of Acts. We want to see it in our lives. Okay, that's the first section, Jerusalem. Then in 6.8 through 9.31. By the way, you might think, well, those aren't good round numbers, Jeff. Well, the chapter divisions in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, were not added until the 1500s. So th- those were kind of the human things, and they're helpful. You know, we can kind of find Acts 18, but they're not part of the inspired text. So don't worry about them. 6-8 through 9:31, Judea and Samaria. This is what happened. In chapter 6, Stephen is arrested. He preaches a long time. 6 and 7, he does that. He's martyred, the first Christian martyr at the first, the sort of end of chapter 7. Um, 8, the persecution gets even worse An Ethiopian eunuch comes to Christ. Some other things happen. Then there's a big event in chapter 9. Paul comes to faith, is converted. Saul, the the biggest persecutor, comes to faith, and he will take the main role in taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, at the end of chapter 9, 31, here's the summary statement. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, just kind of adding Galilee in, but Judea and Samaria. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Rapid movement. We're not talking incremental addition here across the Roman Empire. We're talking about the Spirit-inspired movement of the gospel. And then in 932 through 1224, uh, the gospel now goes to Gentiles. So remember 120 Jewish believers in Jerusalem at the start of the church. And then it's going to Judea and Samaria. And now it's, it's going to rapidly go to Gentiles, like most of us, you know, non Jews. And it, it, it explodes out past the boundaries of Israel. All right, um, Acts 10 and 11, Cornelius plays a key role. He is a Gentile, he is a Roman soldier. And God's going to use him to spread the gospel to Gentiles. Uh, In chapter 12, Peter is uh, arrested, is about to be killed, but miraculously God uses a prayer gathering to rescue him. And then at the end of 12, 1224, is our summary statement where we read, But the word of God increased and multiplied. He's saying the gospel. You know, continue to multiply. I mean, it's really emphatic. Not just addition, but multiplication. All righty. At this point, 1225 through 16.5, we got a couple of little changes here as we're continuing to go to Gentiles. First of all, the leader of the church is no longer Peter, but Paul, who is really the main ambassador to the Gentile world. And so 1 through 12, the, the focus is more around Peter, 12.25, through the end of the book, is more around Paul. And there, in 12.25 and following, there's the first missionary journey to Asia Minor, and we know that's Turkey. And there's a controversy in 15 that gets solved. There's another missionary journey. And then 16.5 is our summary statement. 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Then in 16.6 through 19.20, it it spills over into what we call Europe, cities in Greece today. Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, that's actually on Turkey today, but most of these cities are in Greece, Macedonia. The gospel is going to Europe. Summary statement in 19.20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So at each stage, he's given a summary report. The gospel is spreading. All right, 19 through 21 through 28, 31 uh, is the final panel, and the gospel will reach, at this point, all the way to Rome, the vast capital of the Roman Empire. And this stage starts off a little bit in Ephesus, goes to Jerusalem, and then it has a long section about Paul being arrested and a series of trials, He appeals to Caesar, which he can do as a Roman citizen, and he is taken on a ship uh, across the Mediterranean. There's a big shipwreck and a storm, and all that's in Acts 27. Then in Acts 28, this section concludes with Paul under house arrest in Rome sharing the gospel. And the gospel is still multiplying. Notice the last two verses of the book. Verse 30, he, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that and it ends. The, the book of Acts doesn't have a really a proper conclusion. It just stops. Just stops. Okay, there's Paul, he's sharing it, boom, it stops. And, and that is intentional because the book of Acts continues today until Jesus Christ comes back. You and I are writing Acts 29. What's going to be your part of that? What's going to be our part as a church here at Wood's Edge? What's going to be our individual parts in Acts 29? The journey, the relay race is still going on. So here's the theme of the book. It is the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth in these successive stages. That's the theme of the book. Spread of the gospel starts in Jerusalem, goes wider and wider and wider, finally reaches Rome and is still going. That's the theme, but there is a second theme that underlies that theme, that fuels that theme, and it's all through the book, and that theme is the power of the Holy Spirit is the power source. It's the power of the Spirit. Notice back in Acts 1-8, where Jesus gave us the theme, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, etc., We've got to understand the remarkable transformation of the Roman Empire with the gospel. That these 120 Jewish believers, who a few weeks before were scared to death, scaredy cats, and that they were in the Roman Empire, but they were in a backwater province way to the east that, you know, but a bunch of Jews. Uh, and that's who they were, but they transformed. And spread across the entire Roman Empire so that the Christian faith was a serious, as considered by the Romans, a serious threat to be reckoned with. And it is still spreading today. Church, that did not happen because they were so bold and brave. That did not happen because they were so diligent and hardworking. That did not happen because they had all these resources and clever skills. It happened because they were so weak and dependent that they depended upon the power of the Spirit of God. Enabling them is the power of the Spirit that fueled the spread of the gospel, and it still does today. Perhaps... The single biggest problem of the church in the United States today, and in much of the other world, is that we are not so dependent upon the power of the Spirit as the early church was. We don't face the life-threatening persecution here in the States that they faced. We don't live in, you know, a country where your babies are starving And so it is harder for us to be desperate and dependent upon God to come through. It is easier for us to rely upon our education, our talents, our abilities, our financial resources, and other things. But what we have got to understand is that no matter how much money we've got or how much uh, Christians are being killed around us, that we, in fact, are desperate on on, on the Lord for any significant or eternal change or happening in our lives. And it means that in our daily lives, in our battle with sin, we cannot rely on our resources. Okay, you're a mom, you got two or three young kids, and from time to time, I know you, you, you hate to admit it, but, but you get impatient, and maybe you even lose your temper, and, and, and so you, you decide, okay, I'm going to stop doing that, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to try harder. Does that work? Has that ever worked? Never. If you're battling lust, if you're battling pride, if you're battling honesty, if you're battling uh, selfishness in your marriage, if you're battling anger, if you're battling guilt, if you're battling fear, it doesn't work to try harder. This is what works. God, I cannot do this. I cannot change myself. But you can. You can. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Spirit, and would you change me? Friend, if you're not living with that mindset, you are frustrated with the Christian life. You're frustrated because it ain't working. We have to have this deep mindset, even here in the affluent West, that we are totally dependent upon the power of God if anything good is going to be in our lives. If anything good. And, And that's hard. That's hard. We've got to remind ourselves in our small groups and home churches and uh, relationships that we've got to depend upon God, the power of the Spirit. If you've got overt sin in your life, you are not filled with the Spirit of God. God's not going to fill you with His presence and His Spirit. If, if you've got some, uh, I mean, nobody's perfect. I get that. But I'm talking about overt rebellion against God. He's not going to fill you with your spirit. You're going to be frustrated. You've got to surrender completely your life. If you're going to be filled with God, filled with the Spirit, you need to be empty of self. And we need to be dependent upon the power of God. May God help us at Wood's Edge to be dependent upon the Spirit. It's all through the book, this role of the Spirit. Very first two verses. Acts 1, 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. See, even Jesus in the Gospels, he depended on the power of the Spirit. That's how we're to live. He depended on power. Three verses later in verse 5, Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does that mean? It means that God will Pour out His invisible, unseen, very real Holy Spirit upon us. And we will depend upon His power and lean in His guidance. And depend on His strength and peace in everything for the spiritual life. Baptized with the Spirit. Verse 1-8. Three more verses. A theme verse of the book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes And on and on. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out and it begins the church age. And Acts 2-4. We read right at the start of the church, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, Peter gets up to give his first message. And what's his message about? It's about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Quoting Joel 2, he says in Acts 2, 17, And in the last days, this is God speaking, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, church, if we're going to understand the New Testament, we've got to understand what the last days are. That's not the last five years before Christ comes or the last ten years. Between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, there's a technical term in the New Testament, the last days. We're in the last days. There were previous ages. Now we're all in the last days. And what does God say? I will pour out my Spirit upon every believer. As we depend upon Him, we will recognize and realize and experience the power of the Spirit. Church, we are living in the age of the Spirit. You know, if if we're not depending on the Spirit, if we're trying hard in the Christian life, this this is what it's like. It's like you get in your car to go to work, but there's no gasoline in there. So you're pushing that car down the road. You're pushing it. Some of you have been pushing in the Christian life all your life, and you're completely frustrated. It is the power of the Spirit. It is a sense of dependence, surrender, trust. We'll see more about that. All right. All right, so we've seen the main theme of the book, the spread of the gospel, Jerusalem to Rome, and still going. And then we've seen what's beneath that, the Holy Spirit. And now we will see... The third and final theme, what's beneath that? And that is, they were devoted to prayer. Those are the three themes. There's not four, there's three. It begins that they're devoted to prayer. Remember, that's how the church is birthed. They're waiting in prayer. And God pours out His Spirit, and the gospel spreads. Those three things. You know, I love the book of Acts. It might be my favorite. I love it. Also really like John and the other gospels and Romans and Ephesians and Psalms. But Acts is up there. Um, But we've got to understand, Acts is often um, misunderstood. Because often Christians down through centuries have meant well, but they've looked to the book of Acts to see the details of how to run a church. Church governance, when to do communion, how to lead a church, all the details. That's not the point. The point. Church, have a church like this one. The gospel is spreading in the power of the Spirit because they're devoted to prayer. That's what God wants in every church. Those three. It's the big things. It's not how often you do this or that. It's the big things. God wants that for every church on the planet, including this church. Now, if I say God wants this, those three characteristics for this church— I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about that wall there. That wall over there is not the church. That's a building where the church meets. We are the church. So if God wants the spread of the gospel, the power of the Spirit, and devoted to prayer in the church at Woods Edge, he wants it in your life and mine, every one of us. He wants this in you. He's speaking to you if you're listening about this. Now, where do we see prayer? Well, all through the book. When Jesus tells them to go back and wait and he's telling them to go wait and pray, and that's what they do. Acts 1.14, key verse, the 120 believers at the start, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What does it look like if they devoted themselves to prayer? Well, it was it mattered. In fact, it mattered more than anything, it was their priority. And then in Acts 2:42, not a one-time event here. But the characteristic of life in the early church, they're devoted to the Word of God, to worship, to fellowship, and to prayer. And then on and on throughout the book, nearly 60 times in 28 chapters, God underscores that the early church, they were devoted to prayer. They were a people of prayer. About 60 times references to the Holy Spirit and about 60 times references to prayer over and over and over. In fact, in Acts 4.31, my personal favorite example of prayer there, uh, Peter and John are threatened with their life, and uh, it's a great crisis, and they go to prayer. And at the end of that prayer, in Acts 4.31, we bring all three of these things together. When we read, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. All three things, right there in one verse. Prayed, that led to being filled with the Spirit, that led to the Word of God going out. And and this is woven throughout the book, all three of those things. Now, in the early church, prayer is the lifeblood. They see prayer as the greatest privilege I mean, a human being can communicate and connect with God. It's the greatest privilege in human life. But it's not just the greatest privilege. It is where the power is. And it's the real work of ministry. It's not the preliminary before you really do the work. It's the real work, the prayer part. And whatever happens after that, that's the spoils of the battle. So it's the real work. It's the main thing. In the book of Acts, at every critical junction where the the gospel is going to move for an advance, every time there is prayer behind it. And God is underscoring that. And he's teaching us today at Wood's Edge in 2019, this is how church works. You better pour out your hearts in prayer if you want to see God work in a significant way. Several times I've given you this quote. I'll do it again. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. Nor am I disposed to undervalue any of these in their proper place. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. We get what God can do. Whenever in the book of Acts... God is going to do a great work. He will set his people to prayer. Whenever in history of the Christian church in the last 20 centuries, God's going to do a great work, he always sets his people to pray. This past summer, God has burdened me more than ever before in my life with prayer at Woods Edge, more so than we first began this journey in August of 2002, when we first began the journey to become a house of prayer, more so than then. I am more burdened and moved and exercised. So perhaps God wants to do a great work in Woods Edge in our midst. And he is calling us, he's setting us to pray. What does it look like if you, as a part of Woods Edge, are going to be devoted to prayer in the way that they were? What's that look like for you and for me? And if we do respond to God and we raise the level of prayer, we all benefit Because we're all going to get closer to God. He's going to draw us near. And we're going to see more answers to prayer in our family lives and in our situations than we have in the past. And we're going to see more uh, supernatural activity in our city and in our church. We're all going to benefit. But it's going to start as we are devoted to prayer. You can't determine what I'm going to do about this. How I'm going to pray or your neighbor, only the person sitting in your seat right now, what are you going to do? What does it look like for you? What is God saying to you about being devoted to prayer? So we've seen that the book of Acts, threefold theme. First of all, spread of the gospel throughout the known world, and it's still spreading. Secondly, it's in the power of the Spirit. Thirdly, they're devoted to prayer. I am not going to try to make application to all three of those big themes. There will be times for that. I want to focus on that last one just for a few minutes about what it mean to be devoted to prayer. Because God has several things for us right now. Okay, in two Sundays from now, September 1, we begin as a church a 40-day prayer challenge. We're going to raise the level of prayer What's that going to look like for you? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to suggest some things, but I want you to ask God. And we're going to do that together in a few minutes. God, what's that look like in my life? But here are some suggestions. During that 40 days, fast in some way or the other. Um, maybe it's a Daniel fast, fruits and vegetables. Maybe you're going to go without dessert. Uh, ask God. Ask God what that means. Some kind of fast. Maybe this would be even a higher price for most of us. It's going to be an electronic fast or a social media fast or a Facebook fast or a television fast. Ask God what the fast should look like. I'm giving you warning, two weeks notice, September 1 is when it's starting. Secondly, during that 40 days, we're going to meet with God, all of us, every day on our own. We're going to pray and open the Bible and seek God on our own every day. If you're already doing that, but you're doing it five or six days a week, now it's seven days a week for those 40 days. If you're doing it for 15 minutes, go 30 minutes. We're raising the bar. Third thing it's going to mean is that for six weeks, for 40 days, we all come to the prayer service. Because remember, they were praying together with one accord. God uses it. So if you're in town on a Wednesday, join us. Who knows what God's going to do? What else? What else? That's a lot. Maybe there's some other thing. Oh, yeah, I know. There's something big. Okay. We're going to read a book together. And the book that I'm going to suggest is Mark Batterson's book, Drawing the Circle, 40-Day Prayer Challenge. Mark Batterson. It's not his first book on prayer, which is Circle Maker. Good book. It's just the sequel, 40-Day Prayer Challenge, Drawing the Circle. Now, if you've already read that a couple of times, read Jim Simula's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. But The 40-Day Prayer Challenge book is a good thing for all of us to be together on. Go to Amazon, order the book. Uh, We may have a few copies in the cafe, I'm not sure. But go to Amazon, order the book, September 1, one day at a time. It's broken into 40 days. That's our 40-Day Prayer Challenge that begins in two weeks. All righty, secondly, Jim Simbola is going to be at our prayer service this coming Wednesday night. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned this. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. He has written a number of books, including Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. There is no pastor today on the planet that God has used more significantly for prayer than Jim Simbola. And he's coming here. Don't miss it. Be here. Uh, God's hand is upon him, and you need to join us this Wednesday night. By the way, he's here during the day for a conference gathering mostly for pastors, but you're all invited to that. you got to register because it's some other organization doing it, 60 bucks, but you're welcome. But Wednesday night, that's Wood's Edge. Come on. Bring your friends. There'll be people all over Houston. I've seen there are people driving in from Oklahoma and Austin and San Antonio. It'll be great. All right, I've given you two things on prayer. I've got one more. One's the 40-day challenge beginning in two weeks. Secondly, this Wednesday night, Jim Simbola. Thirdly, is a simple question I'm going to ask you right now. What does it look like for you to be devoted to prayer? What's it look like? And this is what we're going to do. We're going to simply ask God. Now, some of you aren't used to asking God stuff. This is what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes, and I'm going to pray, to lead us, and I'm going to ask God to block out every voice except His voice. And I'm going to ask Him to speak to us about what's that like. To be devoted to prayer, and probably there's a thought's going to come to your mind uh, right away. Probably some thought's going to come to your mind, and God is speaking to you. Now you know God's not a genie in a box. Maybe you won't have a thought. Pray later. Keep praying. Don't don't give up. All right. Stand with me. Close your eyes so you're not distracted by me. Lord, we are your people. Would you block out right now, Lord, every voice except your voice? And would you speak to every single one of us? Lord, what does it look like for me to be devoted to prayer? Put it on our hearts. You should be hearing some stuff, most of you, many of you. Write it down. Do it. Lord, we thank you that we've got the privilege of prayer (laughs) And the privilege of being indwelt with your spirit. And the privilege, Lord God, of being on the greatest life-saving mission in all history. Friend, if you're in the room, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is your time. Receive him now. Breathe a prayer to say, Jesus, come and save me. And he will. He will. Amen. All right. Raise your, raise your look, at, look at me again if you don't mind. Okay, guys. If, God, if, if you heard, if, if something, some thought came to your mind, some word, um, you know, God's speaking to you, do not disobey him. Do it. Write it down. Do it. If you haven't heard anything yet, not to worry. Keep praying and seeking him. Church, we've got communion at the front and the sides and the middle. And we worship a Savior who shed his blood for us. Come and worship.